Okay, turn to Galatians chapter 1, and then take a deep breath, swallow hard. This is a fasten your seatbelt moment. <laughs> you know, one of those moments right before the, right before the roller coaster takes off. Uh, it's exciting and it's fun, uh, but, it, but it's, it's also one of those moments kind of like, let's get the kids, get the van all loaded up before we head out off to a cross-country road trip. Like, do we really want to do this? Is this a good idea? The, the look on a, a new mom or dad's face when they hold their baby for the first time, that realization I am not ready for this. Those, those 12 books I read did not prepare me. It's, it's, it's starting a new job. It's moving across country. It's going to a new school. It's, it's going on a first date, maybe. Uh, it's, it's that gulp before the unknown when everything is about to change. Everything you thought you knew, everything that is, is comfortable and familiar... Everything is about the change for the sake of what is infinitely better. And here it is. That God, by his sheer grace alone, wants to give you everything. Everything. He wants to, he wants to change everything he wants to redeem everything, that there is nothing in your life that he is willing to leave alone, to leave untouched by his grace. And that truly experiencing God's free grace is a fasten your seatbelt moment, which is why we naturally try to sabotage it, which is why we naturally rebel against the, the, the notion of God's free grace and we try to add things to it and add works to it and, and that's what the Galatians were doing. That's what is the occasion that causes Paul to, to write this letter. And Paul came preaching, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And then others came behind him preaching Jesus plus circumcision plus keeping the Jewish law plus works is everything. But there's a word for that. And it's Phariseeism. It's that attitude that says when a, a relationship with God on God's terms isn't enough. And by adding righteousness that comes from our works to the gospel, we become self-righteous. I heard one, one preacher put it this way, that, that grace not only rescues us from our sins and failures, but grace rescues us from our trophies. Those things which we've done for Jesus, which we are most proud of. And the church is full of recovering Pharisees. That's who I am. That's who most of us are. <laughs> Praise God that there is hope. There is hope for recovering Pharisees. There is hope for recovering Pharisees and the hope for recovering Pharisees is in returning again and again to the true gospel of the grace of Jesus. 
And so as we start off Galatians, let's start it off by looking at this, this chapter 1, verses 1 through 10 in three ways. The apostle of the true gospel, the hope of the true gospel, and then finally the, the twisting of the true gospel. Let me read Galatians 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me through the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I am, for am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at this again. The apostle of the true gospel, the hope of the true gospel, and the twisting of the true gospel. First, the apostle, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. There's a a formula that, that... that letters have that that were written in the first century as this one does. And that format is somewhat different from ours, but it actually makes a little bit more sense. Uh, First you you say who the letter is from, so the sender's name, and then usually some of their credentials, and then then who the intended recipients are of the letter. And then if you're the Apostle Paul, you kind of add to that these additional elements and most notably, this, this greeting that Paul has that he puts in, in all of his letters, grace to you and peace. And then after that, you go into some, some bit of thanksgiving uh, that Paul has for the, for the church that he's, he's writing to. Uh, thanksgiving for the, that church's faith in the Lord Jesus or their love for him and the, the work that he does and their support and all of that, like... That's, that is a standard part of Paul's letter-writing uh, scheme. Uh, even the Corinthians <laughs> got a thanksgiving uh, bit, and they were a mess. They were the messiest mess. With all the sin and, and things pro- problems that were going on in the church in Corinth, they got a thanksgiving. But Paul skips right over that in the Galatian church. And we'll find out why in just a minute. But, but notice a couple of things from this, this opening that Paul makes to this letter. 
And he puts a special emphasis on his own credentials. Uh, and, and here in the first two verses, he does it. And then later on in the chapter and in the book, he does it as well. And, and then he also uh, includes not only himself, but he says, all the brothers that are with me, and just indicating that he is not alone and that the true gospel that he preached to the Galatian church is attested to by this other group of, of men that there, there's a corroborating body that, that can, uh, that can come alongside Paul and add to his credibility. And the reason that Paul is making so much of his own apostleship is, is to make much of the gospel. This isn't, this isn't Paul trying to toot his own horn. This isn't Paul pointing to some, some unimpeachable uh, thing that he's accomplished or credentials that he has that nobody else has. This isn't about his reputation or for the sake of his vanity, but this is about the reputation of the gospel that he preached. And he goes straight into, even as he talks about his credentials as an apostle, he goes straight into uh, the hope of the resurrection. He says that he's apostle, not from man, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul, as an apostle, was unique. Among all of the, the other apostles, Paul was unique that he never spent time that we know of with Jesus during his life and ministry. And indeed, he was opposed to the life and ministry of Jesus up until after the resurrection. Paul was the, the only apostle to be called by the resurrected Lord Jesus, that Paul's encounter and, and calling to be an apostle was after Christ had been raised from the dead. If you remember that when Paul, Jesus confronted Saul, as he was then called, on the road to Damascus, he changed this, this curse-spitting enemy of, of Jesus and the gospel and the work that he was doing. He, he changed this curse-spitting enemy into an apostle. And it was the risen Lord, raised from the dead by God, that did that. That Paul encountered. And this is important because at every turn, Paul is dragging the Galatians back to this hope. He's dragging the Galatians at every opportunity back to the hope of grace, that, that the cross and the empty tomb are at the heart of the gospel. And as Paul confronts the, the self-righteous, works-based gospel of those who are opposing him, that is causing him to have to write this letter to the churches in Galatia, he's constantly pointing to the truth of the freedom of the gospel. And he comes back over and over again to the well of grace that is the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Paul's identity as an apostle is not from man nor through man. But he's not some self-appointed or even church-appointed apostle. His authority and message comes from the one whose blood frees the church from sin's curse and power. And then whose resurrection offers new life to those who believe. Paul is an apostle through Jesus Christ. 
And it's Jesus Christ who is the hope that the, gospel, the true gospel offers. So now let's look at the, the hope of the true gospel. Uh, many of us are familiar with the, the process of distillation. Um, it, distillation is a, a process by which you take two liquids that have different boiling points and, and then you, you can separate them. And there are several things that you need to distill something, but some of the things that you don't need are things like a clearing in the woods uh, and a dude with no shirt and overalls and a big bushy beard. But what you do need are the liquids to be distilled and then two vessels and then some heat, right? And so that, that heat, that crisis has a way of distilling things. And the Galatian church are in the midst of a crisis of the gospel. That grace was being polluted with with religious to-do lists. And so Paul begins his, his letter to them by reminding them of what the pure gospel of grace is. It doesn't take long to do this. We've, we've been through the first two verses of this letter and already Paul is going to remind them of what the, the true essence, the distilled uh, uh, purity of the gospel is that they need to cling to and return to and that is going to form the, 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 the kernel of the nucleus of the rest of what Paul has to say to them. Starting in verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Uh, sometimes as I, I study things and read different commentaries, one of them just leaps out and it's just, it's just sort of like, I, I can't do better than that. And so Philip Ryken in his commentary was very helpful to me and he breaks this down into into four ways. He says in these three verses, the willingness of the gospel of grace, we see the purpose of the gospel of grace, we see the effect of the gospel of grace, and then the origin of the gospel of grace. So let's, let's real quickly kind of walk through Riken's helpful, helpful points here. First, the, the willingness of the gospel of grace. Verse four, it says that Jesus gave himself for our sins, that It's important for us to understand that that nobody took Jesus's life from him, but it was something that he offered himself. In John 10, he says, I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. I mean, do you kind of get what that means? You kind of get the distilled essence of the gospel in that, that, that this was a willingness of Christ Jesus giving himself for you and for me, knowing us as he knows us so fully and completely, he loves us infinitely. Jesus willingly endured the cross for the joy of the purpose that the cross would accomplish. What is that purpose? What is the purpose of the gospel of grace? Verse four again, he gave himself 
for our sins. For our sins, Jesus willingly gave himself as a substitute, taking all of God's anger for our sin on himself. And so the cross is this atonement. We talk about it being an atonement. It's, it's something paid for the debt of another. And so in that, the reason that, that, that Paul can address these churches with these words, grace to you and peace, is because that peace has been won and purchased by the atoning death of Christ Jesus. That God's righteous anger at sin has been has been uh, quenched by the blood of Jesus. The cross is an atonement, but it's also a rescue. Let's look at the effect of the gospel of grace. Verse 4 still, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. The grace of the gospel isn't just a, an individual transaction. Jesus is coming to redeem the world. And that even though as his, as his elect exiles, if you remember back in 1 Peter, even though as his elect exiles we continue to live in this evil age, the age to come, the age of glory, the age of the new heavens and the new earth, the kingdom of God, in other words, is breaking through. It is breaking through into this, this evil age now. And the way that it breaks through is through his church. Through you and I. We are part of that breaking through of God's kingdom. As we live our lives in response to the gospel of grace, we live our lives according to this new kingdom into which we have become uh, citizens. That when we pray, if we ever pray the Lord's Prayer, you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like what we are saying is, that's us. Let, us. let us be the ones who are living our lives according to the will of the kingdom of heaven rather than according to the will of this evil age. And so the effect of the gospel of grace is to be a part of that deliverance that is taking place in God's plan of redemption, is to be agents of his kingdom as it breaks through into this place and this time. And then finally, the origin of the gospel of grace. All of this is according to the will of our God and Father. What this demonstrates then is the great love that God has for us. The love of God and the love of Christ, that all of this was according to the will of our God and Father, that before the foundations of the world, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The depths and the riches of his loving grace. And you can either trust in the riches of the grace provided for you by Jesus, or trust in the, the poverty of even the shiniest example of your own righteousness. There is no mingling of the two. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Or it's Jesus plus anything that equals nothing. That last equation, that's the twisting of the true gospel. 
We have, we have the perfect word in our language. Uh, it's actually quite a British word. That was terrible. Um, we have the perfect word in our language for Paul's state of mind as he's, he is writing this to the Galatians. And that word is gobsmacked. <laughs> it's, it's almost like, I guess we might say face-palmed. I don't know, like gobsmacked. Like, th- this is your gob, right? Your, your mouth area. And you just sort of like, you, you smack it, right? It's, it's, it is what it is. Like, and it's, it's this just utter astonishment. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Like, he can't believe it. Like, his, it, if he were there with his eyes, like, visibly watching this happen, it, his brain would not be able to register the reality that's in front of him. Have you ever, like, been witness to an, a car accident that happens right in front of you? Like, and you, your brain, like, has to process for two or three seconds going, wait a minute, what am I seeing here? Or, or some other thing like that that's just so out of the ordinary, maybe even horrific to you, that you just, you want to reach out through your windshield and just sort of like use the force and like try to stop it or, or something like that. In Acts 13 and 14, we kind of, we get the backstory of how the Galatian churches came to be. And Paul and Barnabas uh, had preached in synagogues and in the public squares uh, in, in the cities of, of Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, uh, all around. And the gospel took root in these places and many believed. And many who were of the Jewish faith believed in Jesus. And many more who were Gentiles believed as well. And in Acts thirteen forty eight and 49, it says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as we were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. I mean, this is, this is a, a, a missionary report to end all missionary reports, right? This is, this is, this is the, the Holy Spirit moving. And, and even in this missionary journey, as they went throughout this region, there began to be opposition from the Jews to the gospel that was being preached. In Acts 14, 2-4, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles." And so what this leads to on this missionary journey is this, this great persecution that, and this opposition as Paul and Barnabas were going throughout the region, preaching the gospel, seeing fruit, seeing many converted. These churches that he's now writing to were being formed and shaped. And it talks about them appointing elders to oversee them as they continues on their way, continued on their way. But it got so bad that this is the, the time in which Paul in Lystra was, was stoned and dragged out of the city and left for dead. Like that's the, the fever pitch and the cost and the price that Paul had paid for preaching the gospel in this place and in this area. Paul had suffered. He had suffered for the Galatians. 
And now false teachers had come in behind him and, and led them astray by adding works of the law to the gospel. Things like circumcision. Circumcision is mentioned most of all, but it's also sort of a byword for all of these other, uh, other laws and traditions that were being piled upon the Galatian church, like, like diet and Sabbath observances and, and those sorts of things. But he says, verse 7, there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Do you know you could be troubled by people calling you to, to, to be more religious? <laughs> Does that strike you? That, that the people that are doing the troubling are the so-called religious people. They're the church people. And Paul's outrage here isn't at somebody undoing his hard work. His outrage is over the pollution of the gospel of grace itself by adding works to what was necessary for salvation. And he does this double accursing of those who would come in and do that. As we said before, so now I say again, verse 9, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. R.C. Sproul, and you have, to, you have to hear this quote. If you can call up R.C. Sproul's voice in your mind, you have to hear this quote in R.C. Sproul's voice. He said this, If an angel came in here and said, in order to be justified, you had to add works of faith, works to faith, merit to grace, you to Christ. If an angel from heaven came in here and said that this afternoon... I would take him by the seat of his celestial pants and kick him out of here. I mean, that's a, that is as R.C. Sproul as it, as it gets right there. But what is going on? How did we get here today with this letter to these people? And how is it that we're sitting here on a Sunday morning reading and studying this part of God's word. God in his mercy is breathing out this letter to the Galatians through the pen of Paul. Because oh how we need the true gospel of grace. Look, it's, it's easy. <laughs> it's easy to win the approval of church people with, with good behavior. That is, that is so easy. It is so easy to avoid the trouble of church people when you don't do the behavior that they want you to do. That's easy as well. And it doesn't take long for the approval of church people to feel better to us and to mean more to us than the approval of God. But it's easier to change our behavior than to give everything of all that we are to Jesus. Mark 7 says, and he said to them, this is Jesus, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. We can change our behavior 
without letting Jesus change our hearts. And that's how we protect our idols. We protect the idols that are precious to us by filling the gap between God's holiness and our sinfulness with religious practices, with good works, with, with hiding our shame behind a, a veil of, of things we've done for Jesus. Here's what all of that misses. And here's what the gospel says. The thing that all of this misses is that in Christ, God is infinitely pleased with you. We have no need to please men, but nor can we earn or please God more or earn more of his love by our works of righteousness. Because while we were sinners, in Christ, God's heart was as full of love and pleasure for his people as it could be. But you are no more loved today as a still imperfect follower of Jesus than you will be on that day in which you step into glory and are finally and fully sanctified in his presence. His love for you then will be the same as his love for you today. His pleasure in you in glory will be the same as his pleasure in you right now. Because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's the heart of God for his people. That's the heart of God in the gospel as it is lived out and expressed and made real and true in the hope that we have in the resurrection of Christ Jesus. And the things that we do, which help us to grow in Christ, are in response to that love and that freedom that are already ours in him. Let's gather together now around this table and celebrate. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, what a great reason we have to celebrate. What a, what a great gospel is ours in Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you for his infinite mercy, his infinite love, the, the grace of Jesus that saves us. Lord, may we never add to anything that Christ has done. Lord, call us to repentance and, and to the foot of the cross for not only our sins, but those, those things which, which build up our religious resume. Lord, help us to, to see and to depend and to, to trust solely on the perfect life and atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. Lord, even as we come this morning to this table 
And that, that atoning death is played out for us in the broken body and shed blood of Jesus will remind us of that. May this sacrament be that time in our week when we, when we return again to the deep well of your love and grace. We pray that you would, you would do this for your glory and by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.